I'm Sam McLaren Fahey, and this is You Survived, Now What? When I was in college, I was studying how to interpret history and then how to educate others about those interpretations because history is taught to us in the U.S. as famous white men and dates of war. But my mission was to help others recognize that history is about stories from all sides, that context and objects and those without a voice matter. While in graduate school, we took a trip to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And after experiencing one of the most immersive and creative displays of history, we ended up at the gift shop. Everything was tagged with never again. Mugs, keychains, magnets, you name it. The Holocaust Memorial Museum, never again. And I remember thinking, wow, that's effective. That's meaningful. Yes, never again. And then the educator who was guiding us said, I really wish that hadn't become our slogan. Since this Holocaust, there has been genocide after genocide, war after war. The slogan shouldn't be, never again. It should be, when will it end? In the United States education system, we learn about American history, or at least the names and dates in American history. We essentially learn that all the important things that happened, all the tragic things that happened, happened in the past. In 2002, the U.S. was entering the Iraq War, and I was entering my teenage years. And looking back, we had no lessons on what this meant or what Iraqi life was like or even what the context of this war was outside of the U.S. At this same moment, war was raging in Uganda, a war that I, as well as most Americans, had heard nothing about. That same year, as I was becoming a teenager, Evelyn was becoming a teenager too. Evelyn was born and raised in Uganda, and the war had been active for her entire life. This particular insurgency began in 1987 when the Lord's Resistance Army, or LRA as she will call it, started a brutal and violent campaign to overthrow the government and establish a religious state. The LRA, led by Joseph Kony, sexually assaulted, mutilated, and murdered people en masse. And one of their most defining moves was child abduction. By 2004, the LRA had abducted more than 20,000 children, and Evelyn was one of them. As a warning, this episode does discuss all aspects of this horrific war. Evelyn, now 31, is living in Austin, Texas, and we sat down over Zoom to talk about her experiences. She is in a city, so you will hear some city noises in the background. Her story had so much to it, and we didn't want to cut anything out, so we decided to do this in two parts. Today, you will hear part one, and next week, we will return with part two. I survived. I survived. I survived. Now what? My name is Edeline. I was born and raised in East Africa, Uganda. I grew up in a very small village with five brothers and three sisters. Both of my parents are farmers. Growing up uh, in a small village, I had a very simple life. My parents didn't have a lot. You know, but the only thing they were blessed with is they had a big plot of land where they usually plant their own crop during uh, a wet season. And during the summertime, they would harvest it from uh, the garden. Grew up in a very small hut, no electricity, no running water. Me and my sister, my brother also, we had to, we used to walk so far away to go fetch water. 
Of course, you know, as a kid, that is the only thing I knew. And we didn't mind it because that was our reality. I went to school for a little while, me and my sibling. And of course, you know, in, in Africa, while that girl education was undermined. So my parents happened to invest in my brother's education more than me and my sister. Of course, you know, when I started school, me and my sister, we experienced a lot of bullying. My sister and I, we came just back home to help my nun to, to work in the garden and like, do domestic work and chore at home. I uh, come from the tribe called Acholi. Uganda is uh, a big country. It's divided from the north and the south. I come from the north. And the north is, uh, is where they speak a lot of like uh, Luo, like Acholi, Lango, and other languages as well. After Evelyn introduced herself, I asked her to give listeners some context to this war. Why was this war happening? How did this war start? I was expecting our standard names and dates history, but instead, she gave me an incredible perspective on war itself. I've read so many books about conflicts, and of course, it makes me to realize that war do not happen just because it happened. War happened because when people are in conflict, there's also there's other people who are benefiting from that. For me, that what pisses me off the most that the people who are getting get rich out of other people's blood, get rich out of other people's sadness, and which is it shouldn't have to be like that. The world shouldn't have to be like that. And of course, I say, when I was a kid, I used to think that this is just happened because we are just children and not uh, my parents. Maybe they just were brought up into this world too, also they are victims. Maybe this is our reality and maybe this is what, you know, this is Africa does. There's always war, there's always conflict. And you get to find out like, where is this coming from? Where, where is this started and why is happening? But a lot of the time you get to those answers get lost in the red R and nobody willing to step up. The one who knows and have much knowledge about it, those kind of war, don't play it because the benefit is something out of it. But the one who do not benefit something out of it, they're the one like, it can be like me who's pay the price for the war that I do not even know how it started and and why. And I'm sure the same question that I always ask is the same question that my parents have been asking for the longest and nobody can be able to give them a clear answer. And I guess everybody who are right now into who that country is at war, maybe it could be with each other or it can be with internationally. But they're asking the same question. Why is this happening and, and how did this start? And for me, I still like want to know why do people start war and yet they know the danger of it. Right now we talk about Sudan and you think about Syria, you think about Iraq. And sometimes the bigger people who are in power, they are aware of what is going on. There's an African parable say, you know, when the elephant fight, there's always the grass that one suffer. When these things are happening, there are real people who are losing their life. The war went on for a long time and I was brought up in the world. And also my sibling, my brother and sister, we were all brought up into the world. But of course, back in the day, yes, of course, we were young to get to understand what was going on. But my parents were aware of what was going on. 
the beauty about Africa is that sometimes a lot of obstacles can be happening like in their life. They should regard everything that go on wrong in their life. Sometimes they just have big belief and the spirit of resilience. And you know, no matter how bad things can be, they find a way to laugh. If they can release their feeling through maybe dancing or maybe getting together. You know, they're dancing together, they're laughing and all that. Of course, for me, asking me and my sibling, we all thought like life was normal. But then when time go on, you get to understand about the story. Sometimes they start telling as adults, you get to hear certain stuff that we could not ask questions because they didn't want us as children to be traumatized. But you know, they always present the good side to us. And I didn't get to find out about it until I was like toddling eight or nine there. So my parents, of course, you know, they didn't even know they were going to be falling as a victim of having their daughter be abducted. I had a very strong parent. Uh, my parents were very uneducated people, but they knew what life was all about. And they all had a hardship. My mom lost her parent at a young age, and she had to step up in the place to raise her own sibling. It helped my mom to grow up very quickly. And of course, my dad was also the same way. So when they met each other, right away they knew they were right for each other. When they had decided to start bringing my sibling and I in the world, they were just preparing us for the best, for what life was going to lay ahead of us. And I'm grateful that in this life, I have chosen the couple to be my mom and dad. There's no any other way that I could have been strong enough to be able to survive what I had to survive when I was a kid if it was not for those two wonderful parents that I had in my life. Growing up, I used to hear about the war. One thing that stick up the most for me was, I remember one time I was around for going to five there. But you know, you understand things. You as a kid, you pick up things and you, you know, story and you can see when things are not going right. Or you, you know, children read, the, read their parent mood and they know how to play. And you know, sometimes when the parent is mad, they know what it's like, oh, mommy's mad. Or when something going on wrong, you can start to pick up those kind of stuff. So I remember, yes, I was very young. As I can recall it, that was around in 1995. A tragedy took place in my village where I come from, and where by the Lord Jesus Army, which known as the LRA, came to my village and found a group of people at the market. That day, they had like a farmer market where just a lot of people came on that day. The LRK came and attacked the village and they end up on the day, they end up adapting so many children, young women and men and students actually. There was a school nearby. They adapted young women and men from the school and also they abducted the people from the market. For some reason, they selected them by gender, women and men and then they assassinated them, all of them from there, and they took some of the students and the women and men with them. So um, my parents remember that event very well. And of course, some of their neighbors happened to ours at that market as well. As you can imagine, when that took place, the whole village was so traumatized. And 
I had my parents who also like my mom used to go to the same market and also my dad sometimes go to the market. I could not imagine that. Like what about if on that day they were all they went to the market, I would have not had my parents with me. I remember one time it came up and my parents were talking about it and the horrible of the rebel and that. And they started to notice that there was they started creating fear in people and and people like from that event forward, people in my village were always just so careful and so sometimes like they cannot talk about it in an open place because the government were also so strict about certain stuff that the people should, the regular citizens should talk about and so some stuff that they should not really talk about. So it was kind of hard, like suddenly end up like talking about those kind of things privately in their own home. So maybe with family member or with maybe with friend when they're like maybe at a friend house. But you cannot just go outside in like in the open place start talking about it because it was still dangerous. People were so careful about how they could talk about the war. And because most of the time, even the regular children, when they start talking about it, the military, Uganda military, and I start thinking, oh, maybe you have connection with the rebel. That's why you're talking about it. So there's a lot of accusations start happening. So that's for a lot of pressure and fear in the civilian, in Nigeria. Village. After that incident happened at the market, my parents started having fear. So one time, I have no idea what the rebel were like. I hear story that they abduct young children, women and men, and sometimes they kill the elders and they abduct the young one and they take them. And then when they take them, what happened? What will happen to them? You as a kid, you start to imagine what happened to them. Don't, do they have home over there? You know, I started wondering, is it like a, a story that I would say like a fantasy story that they would tell kids? You know, you as a kid, you wonder like, is Santa coming to visit your kid in the home? Until my uh, neighbor children one day, the rebel came and attacked my village. They took some of the people and they cut some of the other people's ear off. And of course, my aunt was among those people that their ear got cut off. And then they abduct some of the boys from the village and they took them. And the boy, after now, they have to return back. And nobody know if their life or not. When I was around maybe six or seven there, I remember I went, <laughs> I went, uh, my mom went to the market and came back and we were cooking and she was cooking. It was around uh, 9 p.m. And yeah, my mom was cooking, my dad was laying down. She was cooking cabbage. And my brother and I, we were all in the house. The rebel came and they knocked on the door. So in my mind, I thought it was my brother. I thought my brother was outside. So the rebel knocked on the door, let the thing, and I knocked on inside because I thought it was my brother outside. And they kept on knocking. I kept on knocking from inside. Eventually, I shouted. I said, Alex, of uh, my brother named Alex. Alex, why are you, why are you keep disturbing us? <laughs> Just open the door. <laughs> and and the person who was outside was still like 
you just playing and her father he heard he had heard a voice of the child so then eventually he opened the door very fast and he came inside i remember when i first saw him he had a dreadlock and he had like a, a backpack on his back and like a uniform and a hat and the uniform looked like it's kind of looked torn i have never seen this people uh, this person around in my village before they had a the young man who had an ak-47 and he came with a flashlight and he put the flashlight on my face and my brothers and my dad immediately my dad played sick on that day he wasn't sick but you know that is the trick civilian had learned when the rebel came the media when they know it's the rebel they have to play sick otherwise they won't they will adapt them so my dad played sick on the uh, that night and once he noticed who those people were i was just interacting with the young guy and i like oh wow i like your your hat and like your hairstyle is so cool and the guy could not answer to me he looked at me and i look at him and of course i was very young and my mom just got quiet and they were asking my mom what's wrong with her husband and my mom said oh she's just he she's sick he's very sick right now i'm hoping to take him to the hospital tomorrow and he said what's wrong with him and my mom said oh he he has epilepsy and other disease that it make them scared that night of course they came and took a lot of stuff from my parents home and they asked my mom if she has grown up children that they can take who are older than me and my mom said no these are all the children i have and then on the day they say okay don't worry we're gonna come back when they grow up we're gonna come back for them They didn't touch my mom, they didn't abuse her, they just left her there. Because my mom was a kind of woman who, she wasn't, she could not get intimidated very fast. She's a kind of woman who, when she holds her ground, she doesn't move. And she just like a kind of woman, you ask her a question, she's just going to give you with confidence. And she just doesn't even have to. Of course, my dad on the other hand is just like, oh my God, he's the opposite. My dad gets so scared so quick. That's the moment I knew that, oh my God, when they left, I like, I asked my mom, I said, who are those? And my mom like, just keep quiet. Then later on, my parents started saying that area that they were staying in is dangerous because the rebel came there. Then they have to move from that home where they, the rebel came to on that day. We moved to another location and the other location was where they moved. It was a little safer because it was a little out in the country, which it was a little far away from the house that the Red came to. So of course we keep on living life. People still, they go on with their life. After that event, again, my parents started like restricting us from not going to fetch water at certain time. Like after five o'clock, we are not allowed to go to fetch water because we used to walk like maybe one hour to go fetch water away, me and my brothers and sister. So then after that incident, they started knowing the rebels started like coming to the village a lot. They have decided, my parents like, no, you're not going to go fetch water after this hour. You're not going to fetch water, stay home. Even though we don't have water at home, I'd rather we should stay without having water than having you guys maybe get caught by the rebel. And of course, my brother and I, one day, we just like, like, you know, keep do dumb thing. We grab a container and like, oh, I told her, I said, hey, brother, let's go to fetch water. We went to the borehole and we started pumping water. After we pumped water, we was playing around. It was just me and my brother. We were just still 
playing around at the bar or instead of us placing water and uh, we should have left that we end up we start playing there and then the next thing we knew the rebel were everywhere and then they just told us do not go anywhere what are you and your brother doing here i said oh they said what's your name i said i didn't give them my name i was really like I was aware of when I'm in a danger situation, something did not feel right. I was I was aware of it. I can feel it, I can read it, like it, there's something wrong. So I look at my daughter, my daughter look at me and say, ooh, okay, I guess this uh rebel. And they asked me, said, did your daughter say, yeah, this is my daughter. And they say, are you her sister, little sister? I say, yeah, I am her, his, uh, I'm his little sister. Then they asked my brother what his name, my brother gave his real name. And they asked me, I told them, no, I don't play my name. I didn't give them my name. So they took me and my brother and they were all over the place. There were some of them were on the tree. Some of them were under the trees. They all were just like on the road. They captured everywhere. And some of them are laying down. The, the bar all was all over radio by them. They say, where are your parents? And they asked me, my brother, and I told them, no, we don't have a parent. We are orphaned. And I told my brother, I say, I knew that, I thought they were going to take my brother on that day. I was so scared of losing my brother on that day. I was so scared. I looked at my brother in the eye, my brother looking, and I looked at the young man who wanted to get my brother. I told him, I say, please don't take my brother with you today because he's the only brother I got. And we are often, and not that he's the one taking care of me, he's looking after me. If you guys take him, then I'm just gonna be alone. Nobody's gonna take care of me. They asked my brother, like, is that true? My brother said, yeah. And then they took us in the big group. And they were like, they couldn't let us go. They couldn't let my brother go. And I was like, oh my God, my brother is going to go. The soldier left us with two of the gross soldiers. And they were all over my brother. And I was just kind of like the little one. They were holding me. <laughs> it was funny. And I looked them in the eye. And at the time, they gathered all the people in the village. For some reason, I was scared that they were going to assassinate the whole people that they gathered on that day. I was scared. And my mom came to look for us. And then the next thing I knew, as I saw my mom, I guess my mom, after she waited for us after some hour and we didn't come back, she came to look for us at the borehole. And then they captured her too. And then they brought her in the group. So as I saw my mom walking to the crowd where they gather everybody, I like, I'm going to lose my mom, my brother today. And I was terrified that I was strong. As I look at my mom, look me in the eye, look at my brother, she went and sat down quietly and I look at her, I said, if they do not charge all of those people, then I don't know today. In my mind, I said, eight years old, you be thinking about children stuff like that, it was a lot. I asked the rebel while about to go, they told everybody to close their eyes. That is the moment when I thought they were going to assassinate everybody. Everybody close their eye and not look at nobody and just put your head down and just don't think about nothing. And my mom lay on her stomach, face downward. And um, I look at the girl, the soldiers who still held my brother, and uh, I whisper, I say, 
are you gonna take my brother today? And she say, but my brother is the only one I have, and it's we. I'm an orphan, and I can't. Don't don't take him. Just I pleaded for my brother. I say I want him. I want him, please. But let <laughs> if you guys take him, I'm gonna. I, I also wanna go with him too. And the you too little. I say no. If you guys take him, I wanna go with him too. And then they look me in the eye. Then they say. One girl whispered and she said, don't let anybody see this. It was a little dark, but I will do you a favor. Since you have been pleading for your brother, I'm going to let you and your brother go. But uh, you and your brother, I want you two to crawl to go to the crowd. My brother like, look at me, I look at him. I said, yeah, let's crawl. And then we crawl, went back to the crowd and we found my mom. Instead of us screaming, we didn't scream. We went and sit in, Close to my mom, both of us, and, and then the rebel. I thought they were just going to start like, just throwing bullets on us. But then after they told everybody to close their eyes, not to look anywhere, they left. They started walking one by one and they left. Then they had the last crew who left like five uh, soldiers and they told them to watch over the crews. I thought those five rebels were the one going to assassinate all of us, but they had to stay back to watch in the crowd because they don't want the crowd to see where they are going, which way they are taking. Of course, after that, then they all also left. And then my mom grabbed my hand, me and my brother, and rushed with us at home. She ran, we ran home like it was nobody business. And like, we are all still safe. When we got home there, my mom was just devastated. She like, I told you guys not to go to face water at night. And now you see, we almost got killed today. And I, like, my girl and I, we were just looking at each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. And my dad like, what happened? We couldn't wait for my mom. She sat down to tell the whole story to my dad. And she sat down and told the whole story to my dad too, about what she just had witnessed. And I look at my mom, I look at my dad, I say, you know, they were going to take Alex today. And that is when I witnessed the danger of the rebel firsthand. And after that, my parents were sending us far away to sleep. Every day we spend the night in the bush, sleep in the bush, and we come home at daytime. But nighttime, we all go sleep in the bush. And then it comes to one point, we had to walk like 10 miles. We become like a night commuter where we walk 10 miles to go look for safety. And that's when we start to know, uh, we start to notice that this was getting real because our tenant didn't even have to tell us about what to do when the time comes. Sometimes either we have food cooking or sometimes you are hungry, you have to go. We had no choice and we started marching 10 miles to go sleep every night and we were always so exhausted. My parents did everything that they could, and I did, my sibling and I, we all did everything we did. And one day we took a chance to go to sleep in the center. My cousin came to me one night. My two cousins came to me, and a boy and a girl. And they all say, uh, they came and they said, we should go sleep in the center. The center is really far away from the village. And I say, okay. Something was telling me that it was something wasn't right. But at the same time, my mom was pregnant. And I like, normally, I don't know if something wasn't right. I usually like, just don't either try to do it at all. So on that day, there was something bizarre off. I wanted to take my little sibling with me on that day. 
And I told my mom, I said, can I take Sandra with me? Because I love these kids so much. And like, I he usually we go everywhere to the market and everywhere. I like to take him around. So on the night, I wanted to take him with me. But something kept telling me, no, don't do it. Then I told my mom, I said, you know, I'm going to, to sleep. I wanted to take Sandra, but I'm not going to take him. Uh, let, I'm going to leave. I left my mom, she was sleeping in the compound, and my mom said, okay, have a, oh, you guys have a safe journey. Go, go sleep well, be safe. And I told my mom the same thing too, and then we left, we went to the center to sleep. That was the last time I saw my mom. That happened when I was 12. That night, I went to sleep in the center, close to a barrack where Uganda government was at. We went to sleep at a church. There was a very small hut. It was close to the church. And we went and we prayed. We said prayer. Well, we thought we were all safe. And my brother was, my brother was sleeping in a different hut, but it was close to the dark. Again, it was super close. I said, okay, I think we are safe here. And we slept that night. And then around five o'clock in the morning, we heard a bomb went up the building. And I, in my, I was in my sleep. Normally when a lot of those chaos happen and you hear a lot of stories, sometimes it become like thinking like it's a dream. But that night I thought it was a dream. I, I heard a bomb going up. It's like a bullet and going up the building. I tried to wake up that my head was heavy. And then I keep going back to sleep. I say, oh, it's just a dream. And then I got up and then, whew, yeah, there was a bomb going up the, our heart. Small bullet, bomb. We start smelling something smell funny. And I woke up my cousin. I said, please wake up. Something going on wrong. I wanted to wake up my cousin so we can just run and leave the hut. But then two rebels just got into our hut with a gun held on the top of our head and say, if anybody move from this room, you all will get killed right now. And put your hand behind you and don't move. I look at my two cousins, my two cousins look at me and say, oh, we are all gone today. <laughs> this is like, oh, this is the end of the game. We are not, it's over. I'm just not going to see my family. And whew, I, it was a heavy feeling. They took us, they dragged us from our hut and they took us in. The journey was rough because it was dark and my cousin and I, we had no sand on our feet. We just walking with our, the clothes we came with in the center on that day. We were just walking. I wasn't aware as they were walking with us, there was a lot of bullets still going up in the building and the, where my brother were at. And you hear people screaming and bullet going up of their houses bomb dropping everywhere and the, you, the chaos and everywhere smell like a gun corner and here we are my cousin and I, I just like they held us hostage and they kept telling I kept on walking keep on walking and we kept on walking and then the next thing we knew we found ourselves in a huge group of people young men young women young men with dreadlock AK-47 all kind of weapons they had in their hand and they all look so mean they look so mean and that i they're all red and i like oh we are in dangerous here bullet keep on going off and ugandan government and then they start exchanging fire now 
that was happening in my village, the one Uganda government was shooting through Penka, it was going up on the direction where my parents was at. And I was worried about my parents more than even also my brother, because a lot of bullets was happening where my brother was sleeping. So I like, we are all gone today, one family, one village, we are all just a world of set prayer. Yeah, they took us on that day, my cousin and I. They walked with us a long distance, and that's when we started like realize that the war was at our doorstep. We did everything we could, but we still got abducted. It was sad. It was a sad moment, and I did not know I was going to survive. At that moment when that happened, when they kidnapped, I, I got to find a lot of my village members including my friend, including my aunt uncle, they were also abducted on that day. And you get to look at each other from even my own cousin. We look at each other like strangers, like pretend like we don't know each other. And yet we know each other, we are all relatives. And it was the most scary moment ever. From there, we walked miles, miles to you, you walk every morning, day and night, sometimes there's no food, sometimes there's no water, no sandal on our feet, no shoes on our feet. We were walking barefoot in one clothes we had. It just, that's when you get to know, like, is life really real, you know? And it sounds like a dream, but it's not a dream. Why were the LRA was abducting young children, young women, and then taking them? I mean, that had been the question that my community had been asking for years. And that is also the question that the world usually want to know. I really don't know the reason why, but in my own personal opinion, from what I saw or had experienced, that the young soldiers, the boys were being, they were using them. One day at that time, they would train them on how to fight. And the way they would treat them, the kind of humility and the kind of inhumane thing they do to them when they were they are kid, and then they end up after they have survived that kind of inhumane act that they they did to to them, then they would give them a gun. Now you go and do what you think you can be able to do out in your community. And when those kids come back to their community, the most thing they end up doing is just to their own community. It was just, it was unimaginable. The reason why they were kidnapping children, because when you take a young child from his mom and dad at a young age, you end up teaching them how to hit. And then you give them the power and say, since you have learned all of this, I want you to go practice it on somebody else. It's going to be easy because kids is easy to, they adapt to things very quickly and it's easy for to be brainwashed. They, after they get brainwashed, you tell them to go back to, the, to do something, they're going to follow the command. Especially some of those, uh, like a lot of the soldiers, the young size soldiers that I have seen and uh, that I was with, most of the time they were treated horribly. And some of them almost lost their life. But then when they survived that, they would tell them to go and commit crime in their own community or at a refugee camp or something. And then when they go and do that, they would come back and get reward from their, their bigger commander. So it becomes this like a center of, it becomes like a motivation, like an inspiration. Like if I go 
commit the most tragic crime, I'll come and get promotion from being a little a little soldier into a commander. From a commander, you can be able to rule somebody and you get to do that to the next person. And who doesn't like to be a boss, you know? Everybody likes to get promotion at, at their job, yeah? So in order to get a promotion, you cannot just get a promotion when you sit behind your desk every day, you're doing the same thing over and over and you're asking for raise or you're asking for promotion. So the same thing with those kids who are getting kidnapped. They get brainwashed and then they act in a very horrific way and then they train them on self-hate after that, and then they go and do the most unimaginable thing in that community, and they come back and get promotion. So that's why I think the reason why they were taking children because it, it's easy to brainwash children than to try to brainwash adults sometimes. And also the young woman, it was the reason where in any war complex, you're gonna get to find out like in any war, I don't care whether it's happening in Syria or even maybe in any part of the world where there's a war, there's always going to be two gender, men and female, because they have to bring, one has to be there to satisfy sometimes the men need. So what are women sometimes useful? Yes, sometimes they, if they're lucky enough, they will choose to be, become a fighter. But some of them, they were just used basically to become like wife in order to entertain the male and so they can come back and keep going back and forth to be able to continue with the legacy of that inhumane, the kind of a tragedy thing that they were doing. Because the woman was giving us a guide and being trained to do have uh, you know being raped all the time and then they learn to hate themselves and then they end up like okay you can be able also to go back and you can also train train your other fellow female to do the same thing too so yeah it was they were being treated horribly and they were taught self hate and of course it was just easy. I guess the men were just kidnapping young children because children are easy to be taught to do certain things than adults. I, I lived with those people like for three years. My first day when my cousin and I, we all got abducted, we went somewhere and then we sat there. The rebels took their tent, their base started like to cook and that. And my cousin and I, the big commander who is in chief, named Vincent Oti, called us, called me and my cousin and asked us, so you from this village and who are your parents and who are your grandparents? I'm like, oh Lord, I'm not answering to this question. I look at my cousin, I get the different name to the guy. My cousin, I should get the real name. And I'm like, Oof, shoot, I guess they're going to go back to collect our, other, our brothers and dad who are still living at home, I guess. The guy shook his head and told us that, oh, actually, I know your grandparents because I remember them from a long time ago. I know you guys' parents. Dad never went away from me when he told us that he knows our grandparents and he knows our parents. I guess that that's when I realized that this conflict had been going on for a long time. And actually the people also, they know each other. This is like people getting abducted like me and my cousin and they, they end up going there, turn into real master. Like they go back and turn again in their own community and this what happening to us. So my cousin and I, when they knew that we know each other, they supported us. They took me with a different group and they took my cousin in a different group. We don't really see each other, my cousin and I. 
everyone in a while we will run into each other and then when we run into each other we always just have to sneak with the gossip we just gossip what we know what we saw and like very quick like that we don't want to get caught after one year with the rebel i learned so many things about life about walking 24 hours sometimes with no food i i know what hunger is like Every day I wake up, why, why am I with these people? And why did they kidnap me in the first place? The answer to come back to me, don't worry, you're going to learn. But at the same time, it was, I knew I was being held against my will. I do not have the power. I cannot escape it. it just get out and like, like job in America. The way I can, if I don't like the job, I can just get out and walk away. If I don't like my job, there, like, I can't just get out and walk away, you know, because I get caught. My life would pay the price for it. One young guy tried to escape one time. They went and caught the guy and they got him back. And they let the whole group participate to kill this guy, to let us all know that if we try to do that, it will happen to us too. So of course, you get to see people getting killed on the front of your eye because they, they made the decision to escape because you have decided they don't want to be there, but they still want to get their life had to pay the price for it. It was just unnecessary. But at the same time, that, that the reality that I had had to live with for three years. It was um, a horrible place. I didn't want to be in it. And it, even though the, someone might have paid me, say, I want you to go and live with these people for three years and you can get, be getting a million dollars in your bank account every month, I would not accept the money. That was my life. That was my cousin's life. And we learned to live with it. And after one year, with them going to two years, Uganda government and the soldiers were fighting, you know, they always fight with each other. One day, yeah, we were just somewhere in the middle of nowhere. The Uganda government sent the helicopter to fight the rebel. And on that day, it was a very normal day. It was a summertime and normally the environment is like dry, you know, the, like the grass are dry, the trees are dry. And of course, one fire fall on the ground. It's like you see in California happen all the time. You know, fire can break at any time when the place is dry, so it can be hard. So on that particular day, the LRA was just living their normal life. We were on our way going to Sudan. We were marching. And of course, in the LRA, let me tell you, in the, with these people, there's no just thing as home. Home is where you can just come. Home is just, you learn to create a home in your own heart and your mind. You live in your mind and your own heart. Because there's no such thing as a shelter, as a home. Every time people just walk and you go and sit under a tree, that tree will become a home just for two, maybe for two hours, for three hours, and then you have to get up and start walking again. Every time walking day and night, sometimes you walk without having any sleep. So that day we sat somewhere, we were just cooking food as usually, and, and then we heard helicopter came, and uh, of course I was living with one of the commanders, the wife of the commander who was in charge of my group. I was living with the three wife, and of course, you know, in the in the era, a commander can have as many wives as they can have. Most of the time, the young girl they abduct, they end up giving them as a bride. The group of women I was staying with, they all have children, of of course, in the bush there with the commander. 
a lot of the commander have children of their own over there in the bush too. They create their own family. They have their own family there. But the way they treat their children, freaking nice. They just love their children like anybody else out here love their kids. But the way when you see them, when they kidnap someone else's child, the way they treat them, it just it makes you wonder. Like, wow, there's a lot going on. A lot of things going on here. You get to learn something the way how love sometimes goes. That day, we were just cooking, and then normally when we cook, we cook outside, and we use firewood to cook. But when sometimes when you're cooking, they have a group of young soldiers who are in charge of watching the whole entire camp where the group are at. The smoke are not allowed to come out when you're cooking. There's no, there should be zero smoke when you're cooking, which is impossible because when you're cooking, you're using a wood, it will be hard. We are having a fire, we are having no smoke. You know, sometimes the smoke ends up coming up and then they think because the smoke, when the smoke comes out, it will reveal where they are at. Maybe to civilian or Uganda government, it will create alert. So they have so much high expectation of children cook without smoke. That day we cook and then we pack our stuff and then the next thing I knew helicopter just much in it started coming and the next thing I knew <laughs> bullet was flying everywhere. We were all up there. The woman started screaming and I was just I wasn't scared. I was just like you know I was just because the one they have kids they had kids and it was hard for them to try to figure out where their children is at to take them out. And then one of the ladies said, You need to help me, help me, help me with one of my child. She had two children, a boy and a girl. So she like, help me with one of them, the, the other one, the oldest one named Sunday. So I grabbed Sunday and also I had my backpack on my back and everything else. Then when the airplane started dropping bullets, the bullet, the first bullet it dropped, it hit one of the women who was in my group and we all like, we all dodged it and we fell down. The bullet shattered among us and for me, when he, the bullet shattered, it shot the back from my back. And when he shot the back from my back, of course the backpack that I had on my back had all the clothes. It caught on fire, so I dropped the bag. And I felt something warm in my feet. I was like, what is it? And then it was burning, but I couldn't feel it. So I took on my boot, my gun boot. At that time, they gave me a gun boot, a black gun boot. I took on my, my gun boot, I took all of them out. And then, yeah, my gun boot was full with blood. And I dropped the gun boot. I, like, I didn't even know I was hurting. I, like, I just felt like there's something burning in my shoe. One of the ladies got hit on the head, and then she was just crawling and at that time you can't save nobody you lose on like this so much you just so much to see so much to, like a lot of stuff it just heartbroken stuff to see and I just told the lady that was with me the one asked me to help her with the child I grabbed her kid we started running and after we run we landed under a big tree you know under that big tree we had we hid it over there which it was a very bad idea I wish we we didn't do that and then the helicopter kept on going around could not move from the camp all you can hear like the Helicopter go is just below the ground. You can feel the gravitation of the ground, the earth connected to the helicopter. 
you can feel the ground shaking to because of the, the gradation of the, the helicopter because it's so close to the ground. The helicopter started dropping bigger bombs and the bomb, the whole place was just now like gunpowder and just it's fire everywhere. Fire broke out in that camp because it was dry. It was a dry season. So who the people who did not uh, had the courage, the energy to run on that day got Burn actually got shot, but at the same time, the fire, the one will end up killed some of them. The helicopter start dropping bomb everywhere, and the bomb, the bigger bomb, you cannot drop. It dropped so close to the tree where me and and the lady and her two children were hiding. It. I remember it, there was a deep dark hole and was just so deep. It's just full of smoke and like gunpowder. That's now it's unbelievable. And when that bomb dropped, I felt like something dropped head in my ear. I could not hear nothing. And I felt like something, a short recipe hit me, like cut me. I lost unconscious for five minutes and I could not remember what happened. But I remember my ear could not hear nothing. My ear just went and then just could not hear anything. I fought for my life. I just, I remember I took a big breath in and then out. That is like when I woke up at lunch and I just sat there, my head is so heavy and my face was all, my mouth was all dust out the bone and so heavy. I sat there the young girl I was carrying on my last Sunday, Sunday got hit in the woman private part. And she just like, I could not even recognize that was her. She was on my lap. And her brother was hit in the stomach. The, the mother, the woman also got hit in the head. And there I was just sitting with two body under the tree. And it was just the most crazy moment that I will always live to remember that day. It was the darker moment of my life. And I just, when the blood was still running so quick in my body, I could move. So I knew my head was good. I think God didn't hit me in the head. <laughs> you know, it hit me on the my mouth. I looked like a zombie at that time. And uh, I took the young one on Sunday, I laid next to the mom, I took the brother, I laid them together, and then I just sat there. I told God, I said, God, I want to be alive. I want to see my family. And this is not the only thing I know. This is not the only thing that my family know. And I just, I don't want to die, I want to live. That's what I told myself. And looking at the body lying under the tree, thought about who was on, on the helicopter, whoever that's shooting the bomb. I wish they could just land the helicopter and just come and just see, what could just, just see the body of the young woman, the little boy and the little girl, the mother who's laying just innocently under the tree. Then they will not have to do that. They will know that they're just fighting an innocent woman who was just abducted from their home and the innocent children they had when they got raped and they're the one paying the price for all whatever that was going on. I told myself, I said, I want to be alive. This kind of inhumane act cannot go on for many generations. It has to stop. 
I just got up and I said, you know what? I got angry. <laughs> and then I got all I like, I started searching for the airplane. I was like, I want to die too. Come and kill me. I, I think I went on the breakdown. Uh, I want to die too. Come and kill me over here. I want to die. I want to die. But in my heart, like, I knew how much I wanted to, leave, to tell that story. I wanted to leave to tell that story. And one of the women ran into me and she like, she could not recognize me. And she like, Evelyn, I say, yeah, it's me. She say, oh my God, what happened to the other woman? I say, no, they're both dead, they're over there. Go check if you think I'm lying. Go check if the woman started weeping. She started crying. As I was walking in the field, running from, because the blood was still hot and it still circulated in my body so I could move. And then everything was so dizzy. I couldn't, I was losing so much blood where I couldn't even see things clearly. Everything is just like, you know, like when sometimes you are in a stage, like you're about, you're about to do surgery on you, you're trying to fool yourself. Everything seemed to be like that. Like you can see nothing clear. Everything seemed just blurry. As I was walking on the field, there was so much body of young women, men, and even soldiers, and the airplane was already gone, and it was in the middle of nowhere. That is when I just made my decision, like, I didn't even know if I was going to live or die. But that day, I remember it very well that the LRA, they came to collect some of the people who were still alive. It was in the middle of nowhere, there's animals everywhere. I just, I remember we were somewhere and then the next thing I thought, I just was in so much deep pain. I tried to process everything that had just had happened. It was like a shock that I was in so much pain. I wanted to die. I laid my head and I just, I remember, I passed out. I do not know what happened to me. When I woke up, I woke up at around like 11, 10 there. It was so cold. I think the coldness woke me up. I found there was nobody there. They left me. Everybody left me in there. <laughs> if that happened to anybody, you know, what would they do? That was my life. I woke up in the middle of nowhere, injured, and I couldn't even walk because my head was so heavy. The injured was just like my skin was still hanging everywhere. And my head, I could not even fold my head up because it's so, my head is so heavy. I told God, I said, God, hmm. I'm so far away from home. I feel so far away from home. I don't even know which direction if I happen to take right now. I don't know which way to go. But I could not even walk because this happened to my head. If it happened to my hand, I could have got the chance to walk. Or if it happened in my leg, I would have got a chance to crawl. But it happened in my head. I, there's nothing I couldn't do. I told God, I say, maybe the animals should come and eat me. But we are not far from the camp, so I'm sure they already got so many bodies at the field that where the incident took place. So anyway, doesn't really matter. But I knew how much I wanted to survive. I said, God, I want to be alive. I don't want to die like this. And the next thing, as I was thinking, I say it out loud, I remember I saw two soldiers pop up and they came and when they came, they first choke, touched my body and then they start kicking me with their feet like a ball. At the time, like I wasn't moving, 
and then they kicked me. Just to see, maybe, I don't know what that intention was. Maybe they wanted to kill me so that they don't, they will go back. They will say they found me, I'm already dead. So they kicked me, then I started crying so loud. Then they just carried me on their shoulder and they start taking me to where everybody was at. They were still abusing me, like physically. It was, I was in so much pain, but I was also feeling the abuse of those soldiers was too much at the point. I didn't want it to go on with it, but they took me to the group. And when they did that, I ended up meeting a lot of people who were injured there. And I covered my face up. And I remember they had a photographer came and one of the commander came and took my picture. I want to know why they were taking the photo. I could not say no. So they took the picture and the next thing I heard, they took it to give to Joseph Kony. To have Joseph Kony to see if they should release me to come home or they should get rid of me. Joseph Kony told them, the commander, that they should not make a mistake to release me to come back home. Because when they release me to come back home, it's going to make the Uganda government think that or the world at large will be thinking that this is what George Kony is doing to the children. So it's going to expose them a lot. So he say he did not want to take responsibility for something that he did not do or he soldiered it. But my injured was, it was from a bomb explosion that was from the Ugandan government soldiers. He did not want to take responsibility for that. So he said, told his soldiers that they should let me keep on walking with them, with the soldiers, that if I refuse to walk, I become weak, that I cannot walk, then they should kill me. As a 13 or 14 years old, what can you say about that? What, I mean, the what will come on your mind? And I just thought about it. How, growing up, having a strong parent that had a simple life, and I had to go through all of this trauma. Was for what? God, there had to be something positive behind this because otherwise, I'm not going to. This is, I don't wish it on anybody else. After that, I lived with them. They didn't give me no medicine, but the only thing they would do, whew, they would have warm up very hot water at a very hot temperature, whereby they would come and just pour the whole water on me, flush it on me. The water was so hot that I cried my heart out. Somehow you feel like crying doesn't even do me any good. I cried at the point where I don't, don't even have tears no more. And they would just pour hot water on me. I take it by grace. I, every hard moment that was happening to me, every hard moment, I live with grace. I just had hope that most other kid could, I don't even know if could be able to have it. But for me, every horrible thing that was happening, or to me, or I get to witness happening to other young soldiers, that I just live by grace that one day it will end. One day, it would, life would get better. And there's something bigger than this. When that happened, of course, I was separated by the woman, some of the women now in my group, they segregate me from the rest of the group. They want me to be by myself. I was always alone. They don't want me to be with anybody because they say I smell. And a lot of the soldiers, when they find me walking on the road, they would just kick me down 
they will just call me ugly and they say, if I were, they kept asking me, why are you still alive? If I were you, I would kill myself by now. I would have killed myself. I don't know why are you still alive. And I just turn around and look at them with grace, you know. When that happened, that kind of bully happened, I just feel sorry. I don't need to get Emma feeling sorry for myself, but I feel sorry for that. I feel sorry for that young young man or young woman that who had to say something like that to somebody else. I just realized that there was so much hate going on and the, the way they had taught us or taught those young children to hate themselves so much at the point they had to reject it on somebody else. And I was aware of that. So that's why I did not let the bully no matter how much bully I was getting physically, mentally, or psychologically, I did not let that get me. I learned at a young age to build a thick skin whereby if someone, a soldier, or maybe even like a soldier or a woman in the group trying to reject something like saying a word of insult to me, I would kill that individual by just laugh about it. Yeah, laugh about those comments or even sometimes just be quiet, don't have to respond. I came to realize violence and uh, other reacting was not gonna help me, take me nowhere. And I had created an environment for myself whereby it was hard for them to figure me out because I was already aware of the environment and um, the people who live in it. And I just told myself that I have a bigger hope, and I hope that one day that bigger hope can get me somewhere. And in my private time, after the flash water on me, sometimes like my face became very infected, where it turned blue, green, all kind of color that you can name it. Fly usually all over me, like you find me, you feel like I'm a dead person, and I am alive, moving, kicking. But in that world of my chaos and hurt and pain, I feel myself so high somewhere. I imagined the life of outside there. I was in deep imagination of another reality that was not even alive outside of my situation. One day I'm gonna, I saw myself like getting out of the situation, traveling around the world, just standing on the stage, talk about the situation. So when I think about that moment, I tell myself out loud, Evelyn, do not worry. Thing will get better. And then sometimes I, I laugh about it. And the one day, sometimes all the soldiers, they hear me laughing. They're like, Evelyn, what are you laughing about? What is the news? Yes. <laughs> I, just, I just like, you know, uh, you know, life is always not about sadness. And it, the world it seems to be a very sad place. You're gonna have to learn to create your create an imagination of where you see yourself or how to make yourself happy because people cannot give you the happiness that they don't have. How can I be able to have it? So I gotta create one for myself. So when they ask me that, I like, no, nothing. I just thought about something funny. And so after that, you know, I just told myself like after I survived the wound. The bomb explosion, seeing so many things happen. I just made a decision to myself, like, I want to 
do I set a goal for myself. <laughs> the goal was two it was two. One, I want to be alive. I'm so hungry for life at the time. I like I love this life so much at the point whereby I don't really care about the pain that I was in. But I was just so thirsty for life. And I just felt like I'm tired of living the life that I was living. And secondly, I knew I do not belong there. I knew that I was kidnapped against my will. Everything I had taught, it was the opposite of what life was about. I wanted to bring a new positivity about all the negative things that I saw or the hopeless life that I was living. And I like, how am I going to do that? I said, I'm going to escape. But how am I going to do this? But I know they're going to, if they catch me, I'm dead. I'm going to die. You know, one time I was like around 15 there, 14. I don't remember. You know, when you're going through a rough time, all you care about is just a moment, just living another, seeing another day. So I remember one day I just like, you know what? I just got my water bottle and I just grabbed my sandal. I didn't care about eating or nothing. In the middle of the night, as we were sat, we settled somewhere, I just thought about it. I prayed about it and I just told myself I'm escaping. But if I get caught, that means it's going to be the end of the story. But if I survive, it's going to be a new beginning. And it is a new beginning. Join us next week to hear the rest of Evelyn's incredible story.